love to, to worship together with you guys every Sunday and just thrilled that you're here. If you're a guest with us, welcome. Uh, we worship for a little bit. We're going to look into God's word here for a little bit and we're going to have a chance for communion, have a chance for a little more worship. So that's kind of what's coming down the pike. Can we agree that being a spectator is different than being a participant? Okay, we're all with that. Uh, I want you to think of a time where you were a spectator, but you wanted to be a participant. You were kind of maybe seeing something. You're like, man, I wish I could do that. Maybe it was at a, a game, and you grew up maybe playing that sport, and now it's, you're watching the professional one. You're like, man, I just wish I could do that again, or I wish my body would allow me to do that again, or just whatever that may be. I had a chance a few years ago to go and do indoor skydiving. Uh, anyone ever done indoor skydiving? It is way better than outdoor skydiving because you don't have to leave a good plane. Um, I've just made it a rule of life. I'm never going to jump out of a good plane. Um, but indoor skydiving, it's like this giant fan underneath you. You go into this tube with this other person who's like a professional, and then they help you look a little bit less ridiculous uh, as you kind of swarm around here. I think I have a picture of my son. Yep. So this is, this is a few years back, right? And I remember watching, we had a group of about 25 of us there, and I remember watching everybody, and, I, and I'm all suited up. I got the helmet. I've gone through the whole, kick, kick your feet up and all that kind of stuff. And I remember just going, this is going to be so fun when I get out there. I did get out there, and it was fun. But I don't have a picture to show you. I'm so sorry. Mostly because you don't look good uh, when you do this. Um, my son has no body fat, and so, like, he looks awesome doing this. That's why he's getting the thumbs up. I never got a thumbs up. More of got a, <laughs> we're going to make it. Okay, so anyway, but I did do it, and I was super excited about it. It was so much more fun to actually be in there versus just watching, although it was fun to watch as well. And there's a difference, this idea of spectating and this idea of participating. And sometimes it's okay to be a spectator. But listen, to be a disciple, which is what we've been talking about, going through the whole book, uh, bits and pieces of the Gospel of Matthew. We've been doing this for about eight, nine weeks now. And we're going to finish this next week. So we're not getting through the whole book of Matthew, but we're going to be picking out different things to say, here's, here's attributes and here's attitudes and here's habits that are to mark your life as a disciple, as one who is apprenticing after Jesus. And here's what you've got to understand. To be a spectator as a disciple is not okay. To be a disciple means you got to be a participant. Christ wants us to jump in with both feet and eagerly participate in the movement of kingdom building, his kingdom, meaning his will, his ways, being more and more active in this world, the same as just the Lord's Prayer. God, may your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. May the way things operate there become more and more the way things operate here in and through our influence, and in and through our participation. We've been saying, okay, we had this old Jewish saying that was, may the dust of your rabbi always be upon you, right? And we said this is not about interning after Jesus, this is about apprenticing after Jesus. And so I know there's different statuses of folks in this room. Some of you are here, and you've been walking with Jesus for a really long time. And I think that's awesome. And I want to encourage you, as you continue to walk out your journey with Jesus, don't fall victim to just being a spectator. Don't sit on the sidelines. Because being a disciple means I'm going to be a participant. 
and I'm not going to just take myself out of the game. For others of you, maybe you're just kind of beginning to investigate spiritual things. And I think it's awesome that you're here. In fact, I think it takes real courage to come and begin to investigate in your own spiritual journey. And we want this to be a place where you don't have to believe to belong. That you can be on an investigative journey for yourself to begin to understand who is this Jesus and what is this spiritual life of falling after him all about. And if you've got questions, I think that's awesome. And we would love to wrestle with some of those questions with you. But throughout this whole series, we've been saying we want to build and make disciples. We want to be people who are are not just, okay, Jesus is a nice accessory to life, but we want Jesus to be our whole life, the best we know how in the season, in the moment we're in, and we want to follow after him, and so we want to be this disciple, and that begins to look and be more and more a person who is a participant versus one who is just a spectator. And I want you to keep that in mind as we go through Matthew chapter 25. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. If you have uh, the app, you can open up the sermon notes and follow along there. Uh, But this idea of this parable that Jesus is going to get at, we're going to unpack that, kind of look at what he's saying here, and then we're going to draw a few applications for us. And this, I think, hopefully will push you a little bit, because it's pushed me. To say, okay, don't fall victim to just taking yourself out on the sideline. Be a participant. It's an interesting parable that Jesus kind of gives us here in Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse 14. Uh, This is called the parable of the talents or the parable of the three servants. Uh, your, Your Bible text may have different translations. We'll have different headings on what's up there. But it's this idea of Jesus is going to tell the story. Here's what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he's going to describe what this is. And I want us to unpack that a little bit and then draw some conclusions for it from tonight, okay? So this story, I want you to know right up front, it does not have to do with equality as a baseline. And I want you to know that because you're American. And everything in you is going to be like, this is stupid. That's not right. Because equality is what we push for. We talk about it a lot, and and we want that. But this parable Jesus tells doesn't really have that as a baseline, and and that kind of messes with you a little bit, and that's okay. So here's what he says, verse 14, chapter 25. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by a story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants. Now, remember, servants here in this context is not this idea of, hey, go fetch me a water, right? It's not that kind of servant. A servant is kind of like a manager, right? He calls together these servants. He's entrusted his money to them. Uh, In Greek, this idea of uh, talenton is this idea of talent. We understand talent as like a gifting or uh, a talent that you have that can be expressed. But a talenton is this idea of a a gift of money, a significant amount of money. So servant entrusts money to them while he's gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it proportionally to their abilities. He then leaves on his trip. The servant who served, uh, received five bags of silver uh, began to invest his money and earn five more. The servant who had two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money. So the master divides this money, five Two, one. Now, if you and I went to Starbucks, some of you like Starbucks. Okay, if we went there, uh, how, how somebody over here likes it? Raise your hand. Okay, make it. If I if I took you to Starbucks, 
and I bought you a Vente. That'd be pretty awesome, right? Okay, who likes Starbucks here? Okay, Larry, I know you do. And so, Larry, I took you to Starbucks also, and I bought you a Grande. Vente, Grande. Anyone over here like Starbucks? Okay, uh, and I took you there also. You're in the same group, and I bought you a Tall. Hmm. Vente, Grande, Tall. How many of you are already offended? Including me, and I'm buying them. That doesn't seem right. I took my daughter to Peter Piper Pizza the other night as a fun daddy-daughter date. I remember taking all three of my kids to Peter Piper Pizza. Anyone ever done that with your kids? It's insane. It is kind of torture. Imagine being at Peter Piper Pizza, and you have your three kids lined up, and you give one $5 of quarters of tokens, and one $2 of tokens, and one $1 of tokens. As a parent, tell me how that's going to go over. Is that going to be awesome and make for great times? <laughs> It'll be a riot, even worse than what Peter Piper Pizza is already, right? There's something about this that we don't like. Five, two, and one. But I want to give you a little life lesson that my mom taught me. And she drilled this into my head. Are you ready for it? Life isn't fair. Sorry to break it to you. Let me go a little bit deeper. This might really mess with you. God isn't fair. What? God is very generous. And he is gifting to all. His grace is available to any and all. But that doesn't mean that he's fair. Five, two, and one. See, sometimes we get our three-year-old spiritual temper tantrums out, and we start screaming for fairness. But let me quickly remind you, you don't want fairness. You don't want fairness. You don't want God to treat you as you deserve. You want his radical, unmerited, outrageous grace and everything that he'll give you. You don't want fairness because that won't fare well for you or me. Right? And so... God doesn't interact with each of us with exact sameness. And that maybe rustles against us a little bit, but here's what I want you to hear and understand. The call to the Christian life and following after Jesus has never been about common uniformity and identical sameness. It is always about an uncommon unity despite our unique individuality. We are each individually created, handcrafted, made with great design, uniquely planned, deliberately designed by our creator to reflect his glory, and we are granted different giftings and passions and potential. Each one. We each have individually been entrusted with talents and giftings to use for his good and for his glory in this world. That's what Paul begins to hit at when in Ephesians chapter 2. He says this, God saved you by his grace. That's this 
unmerited favor that he gives. You've been saved by grace when you believe, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. For you are God's masterpiece, and he has created you anew in Christ Jesus so that you can do the good things he's planned for you long ago. You have different things put within you, different giftings and talents and abilities than I do. And that's God's glory. That's the beauty of what God does. Is he uniquely designs in detailed plans, each one of us, with different passions and abilities and resources and talents and time and all of those things. Listen, life may not be fair, but that doesn't mean God isn't good. God is good, and he searches for each of us. He can save each of us. He gifts each of us. He sees us individually, cares for each one of us, is dialed in and gives to us, and he has an expectation that we would be active with what we've been given. See, sometimes we can get caught up in our world and seeing other people who have more. And we become stuck. And we end up envying and craving what they have instead of enjoying what you've been given and entrusted. And we don't end up developing what we've been given. Or we can end up seeing ourselves as ones who have more and seeing others who have less And we can get stuck there, too, in our excess. And not really giving ourselves to fully developing what we've been entrusted with and what we've been given. And we drift into becoming wasteful and lazy. And so the story is unfolding. And Jesus has a point. Here's verse 19, probably the key to the whole thing. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them in to give an account to how they had used his money. The servant to one he entrusted five bags of silver came forward with five more. Master, you gave me five bags of silver you to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The master's praise is for him. You've taken what you were given, and you did something with it. Come enter into my joy. I want to celebrate with you. Well done, good and faithful servant. How awesome would it be to hear that from God? Because that's what the story is kind of getting at. The one who had only two returned with four, had done the same and invested that, brought that back to the master, heard the same praise. But that's where this story changes. The third servant who went and just buried the town or took the money and buried it in a hole receives the same invitation, the same idea of go do something with it. But we see here fear marking his life. Fearful of the master, he takes no risk. He does nothing with what's been entrusted to him He buries what he's been given with no return. What happens next is maybe one of the greatest illustrations of first century whining. Listen closely to what transpires here. The man who had received one bag of gold said, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered to see. The servant is saying to the master, the master's tough to work for. He doesn't leave any crumb on the table. 
He doesn't take no for an answer. The servant is intimidated by the master. There's no relationship really there. So I was afraid. I went out, I had your gold, and I buried it in the ground. So here's what belongs to you. The servant is basically blaming the master for there not being anything new there. The master replied, you wicked servant. And really wicked here is better, probably better translated as worthless. The servant didn't invest the money, didn't even put it in the bank, didn't do anything with what he was entrusted. And in this moment, the master says, look, take it away from him. Give it to the one that, now, that I gave five to Take everything away and toss him out of this inner circle. No longer to be a part of this. And suddenly the parable is over. What a weird ending. The one who is given more, does something with it, actually gets more. The one who did nothing and didn't invest at all. Everything is taken away and it taken out of this inner circle. And you can look at this and some scholars would say, okay, this is about salvation. No, it's not about salvation. Uh, this is about this idea of what are you doing with what you were given? That's the point. Jesus has one point. Here's what he's saying. Everybody gets an uneven amount of opportunity and everybody gets held accountable to what they do with it. That's the point. That's the point of this whole parable. Everybody has an uneven amount of time, of money, of resources, of relationships, of giftings, of talents, of abilities, of dreams, of passions. Everybody has an uneven amount because God's the one who gives it out. But you are asked to do something with it. That's the point. Everybody has the privilege. Everybody has the responsibility to somehow, someday give an account to what they did with what was doled out to them. And our amount of opportunity isn't even ours. We didn't form it and create it and manufacture it ourselves. It was doled out to us. It was given to us. It was given by grace. Here it is. I'm entrusting this to you. See, we all know people who are like the five bag people, right? You see them in your life and they're really pretty and they're really smart and they seem to get into all the right schools and they seem to have all the great relationships and there's a part of you that's really excited for them. Listen, if it's just you and me, sometimes it's like, ugh, everything seems so easy for them, right? And then we know there's other people who are like the one bag who just things are really tough. Things are challenging. And they've got to work really hard to get into the school and to move forward in life and to work on those relationships. And they may struggle with communication. They may struggle in relationships. And then there's a lot of us who are in the middle somewhere. And here's the point. You've been gifted. I don't know how much. Because each one, whether it's five or whether it's two or whether it's one, has one single question that's asked to each one. What are you doing with what you've been given? What are you doing with what you've been given? See, the tendency for us is to look at everybody else and to see what they have or don't have and for us to make excuses for what we will or will not do based on what we see around us, but that's the wrong question. The question is, what are you doing with what you've been given? 
The parable is teaching us to look at our own bag, our own life, and decide how do we leverage what we've been given to the maximum of what we can do to bless our master. Because he deserves it. And he's the one that gave it to us in the first place. That's the challenge. We each have been gifted. So what are you doing with what you've been entrusted with? Maybe look at it this way. We each oversee our own response ability. We all have an ability to respond or to do nothing. We could be like the one who had the five and we work hard and we go out and we try to invest well and not basically just our own efforts trying to earn something. This is about trying to invest well and work with what you were given. And so you work on developing the talents and the mind and the passions and the abilities God's put within you because you want to use it to bless the one who gave it to you and to move his kingdom forward. Our ability to choose to respond to our great God and to the giver of all things and to use what's been entrusted to us to move his kingdom forward or we could bury it. That's the choice that's before us. Too many sometimes so-called believers fail to believe the Lord enough to actually obey him, revealing the lack of faith that they have through passive spirituality and a failure to take any kind of risk in obedience. They settle in and simply want Jesus to be an accessory to their life until they get home to heaven. And they choose not to live in the reality that Jesus is life and he's given you everything you need. And he's invested in you, and he entrusts in you, and he calls you to participate in living life the best possible way as you walk with him, apprenticing and being a disciple with him. And the challenge for us is to, like the first and the second servant, to live a sold-out life under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, to love and to say, I want to give back the gifts and talents that my master has given me and I want to use it to move his kingdom forward and to move people forward to please him and not just myself they are rewarded with words of praise from their master well done good and faithful servant I don't know about you I want to hear that I'm not perfect. Far from it. But the best I know how, I want to keep working with what God's given me so that I can hear that. Because that, friend, is going to be an amazing day, an amazing gift, and an amazing blessing. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy my joy. Not just because you said yes to Jesus. That's a must. And that's the baseline. But because you said yes to walking life with Jesus and using what you've been gifted. See, the third servant misses out on that. Shows a lack of trust, a lack of belief in the goodness of the master or even appreciation for him. He doesn't have a very close relationship with him because he's too afraid to take any kind of risk and to do anything with what's been entrusted to him. He turns a deaf ear and a blind eye and a lazy heart to the master. See, the most important verse is after a long time, 
the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. We celebrate that Jesus came and that he lived and that he gave his life for us and that he was resurrected. But we also celebrate that he is coming back again. And after a long time, he's going to come and settle accounts. Here's what the Bible's kind of saying. Is that one day, you and I will have to give an account for our life. It can be an awesome thing, like the first and the second servant experience. Or it can be yet another instance of excuses and trying to shift the blame. It's our choice. We all have an uneven amount of time that we've been gifted. We all have an uneven amount of opportunity that we've been gifted. We want to be people who live with the mindset that it's not going to take, um, I'm not going to take my opportunities for granted. And I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to compare myself to others and get stuck in that comparison mode. But for God's honor and for his best, I want to do something with what I've been given. Are you? Did you, and then did you end up shifting to being a spectator and took yourself out of the game and you're now on the sideline and I just want to invite you, friend, if that's you, get back in the game. You have giftings, you have talents, you have resources, you have abilities, you have passions, you have dreams, and they're meant to be used for someone more than just yourself. That's God's invitation to us. Participate. Don't just spectate. God's looking at our response ability. What are you doing with what you've been given? Maybe the bottom line I wrote was this. Um, to whom something is given, whether it's great or small, something is required. To whom something is given, regardless of how big it is, something is required. Something's invited. This isn't just for us as individuals. Listen, this is for churches too. A church can focus on growing a crowd and coddling people for entertainment. Or it can focus on building disciples and expanding the kingdom of God and the reach of God's grace in this world. Crowd building is focused on increasing numbers and growing membership and generating warm fuzzies that everyone who's gathered experiences. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just a shallow vision. Kingdom building is focused on maturing people and making disciples and releasing people to use their gifts for God's good in this world within the church and within the city and beyond. And we want to be that kind of church. We may be small, but we want to be mighty. See, it doesn't matter how great or how small. To something, to whom something is given, something is required. So ask yourself, what are you doing with what you've been given? Do you know what you've been given? Have you ever actually taken time to think about the resources that you have that other people don't? The giftings, the talents, the abilities, the dreams, the passions that God's put within you. Do you know it even? Maybe this week it's just, God, what are those for me? 
What are those passions? What are those abilities? What are those experiences that you can leverage for your good? How can you use those resources? Ask yourself, what am I doing with what I've been given? See, the life of a disciple is about participation, more than passively just marking the box present. It's about a life of activity, not just attendance. It's about a life of engagement, more than settling for entertainment. Being a disciple is about doing and being like the one you follow. May the dust of your rabbi, Jesus, always be upon you, friend. Always. That the way he sees life becomes more and more how you see life. The way he interacts in life would become more and more the way you would choose to interact in life. How he does things would become more and more how you would do it. We use what we've been entrusted to move his kingdom forward. I'll close with this. This is from the Apostle Paul and from Peter. Simple words, profound. Romans 12, 6 says this, Paul writes, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Here's what that means. You're gifted. And the gift you have is different than the person sitting next to you. Get to know your gift. Get to know the dream and passions and talents and abilities God's put within you. First Peter says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve others. God gives each of us gifts and entrusts us to use it. It is our responsibility to our good God and the giver of all things to not be a spectator, to be a participant and to use what we've been given. One day he will ask you, what did you do with what I entrusted you? That's a heavy question, isn't it? But see, as a disciple we can wrestle with heavy questions. We're not content with just staying shallow. We can wrestle with the deeper things. So some simple questions to close. How are you using your gifts? How are you using your resources? No, Jack, you don't understand. These are my resources. Oh, okay. Are you sure? because I'm pretty sure God gave you the ability to have the job that you have and the brain to actually function well to do it. And he could take that away. He's not going to, more than likely. But he's the one, he's the giver. We like to think we're the getters. No, no, no. We get because he gave. And we enjoy, and we're meant to. What are you doing with your time? Your energy. Your intellect your passions and your talents for God's kingdom? Are you more active with them this year than you were a couple years ago? Friends, that may be a better indicator of spiritual growth than how many Bible verses you go, uh, that you know and how many times you've been to church. What are you doing with what you've been given? What's the calling or the challenge that he's putting before you, even right now, that he's saying, this is your next step. This is the step I have for you. This is what I've given you. And now I'm, I'm challenging you to do something with it. What is he beginning to stir in your heart? 
So as we come to a time of communion, just remembering that at the very heart of who Jesus is, he's a giver. It's just who he is. And he gave up everything for you and for me, laid down his life, took it up again, but laid it all down willingly. And so as we move through a time of communion and worship, I just invite you to wrestle with this question. It's a simple question, but it's really profound and it's difficult to wrestle with. What are you doing with what you've been given in this season of life? Don't just bank on what you've done and don't just anticipate what you will do. What are you doing with what you've been given right now? And so, Father, that's what we pray for, that uh, your spirit would just be free to wrestle with us a little bit tonight. We want to be those disciples that are growing other disciples, that are helping us, each one, find our next steps and take that to be more and more like Jesus today than we were a couple of years ago. And so that means we've got to participate and not just be a spectator. And so, Father, would you, in these next few moments, as we sing and as we take communion, as we just maybe sit and contemplate, that radical question, what are we doing? with what we've been given and what you've entrusted to us. Knowing one day we will stand before you and we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, not because of our effort, because we fully rest, a disciple rest in the finished work of Jesus. But we also know that we've been gifted. And, And there's this expectation for us to utilize that, to move your kingdom forward and to be a blessing, to be about your good in this world. Not to try to make you love us more, but because you're a good God who loves to give good gifts to your kids and loves to see your kids use them. You enjoy it. So Father, what are we doing with what you've entrusted us? Do you meet each one of us? Wrestle with that. As we remember your life, your death, your resurrection, Jesus. Knowing that that in you we find the power to serve. We find the power to be useful, to participate in your kingdom building. And would you help us be a church like that?